When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, and today we're going to um, consider the challenges of the Christian faith in this time that we live in and see how maybe they were challenging to people 2,000 years ago as well. Also, a little Thomas Aquinas, some red wine, a bath, going to bed early, all in this episode. The offering of the priest, the daily offering, the daily sacrifice was a big part of the worship that the people of God practiced and started in the desert, and probably before that, uh, in the, the altars that were built from unhewn stones in places that they went, Abraham wandering through the land of Palestine, building altars there. Uh, and, and so the patriarchs did, and so his descendants did, until they built the tabernacle. Moses built the tabernacle in the desert. And that daily sacrifice, you can imagine waking up in the morning, or maybe you're out milking the cows or making the manna in the desert, and you smell the, the cooking, the grill is on. You know how, I don't know if your neighbors grill, but I know instantly the minute there's a grill fired up uh, anywhere around here, uh, especially when I was on that uh, very uh, restrictive vegetarian diet um, from the spring, um, I noticed that even more pronouncedly, pronouncedly, um, the daily sacrifice being offered, going up, the smoke, the incense. We know that God loves a couple different scents, um, at least in the Bible. Um, God says a few times that he likes certain aromas, one being the um, incense, uh, frankincense, the other being... Um, the cooking of, of uh, the sacrifice, the meat, uh, the offering. And, and this food was eaten, um, not just by the priests' families, but by the, um, the poor that shared in that sacrifice. So there, there were different kinds of sacrifices in the tabernacle and temple worship. Um, and some of them were, um, were cooked differently and uh, sacrificed differently. One of them that is referred to quite often in the Old Testament um, that is translated into Greek as the word holocaust. Um, whole burnt offering is the literal translation of that word that eventually was used to describe the systematic extermination or attempted extermination of Jewish people and many others in the, uh, the Nazi death camps that... Um, America and other allies uh, slowly realized were, were happening there during World War II. And as yesterday was Holocaust Remembrance Day, we remember that that word is linked to the sacrificial system of the temple and tabernacle. And yet, um, and it was a way of, uh, from what I have read, of um, seeing that awful Holocaust, um, that now the word means any sort of devastating um, 
event of ex- human extermination in the world, but specifically the one that happened during World War II. Um, but that link between the sacrifices in the temple that were made by the priests is always there in my mind, and I'm not sure all the ways it's connected. And yet it was meant to point to the fact that um, there was something in that that um, that echoed in that offering in the temple. And I don't know all the connections there, but it's something to meditate on and ponder, I think, as we live in another era of Holocaust denial. Um, most of the people that are um, pushing the anti-vaccine movement in America today are Holocaust deniers. There's a, a very prominent uh, medical doctor um, who is pushing uh, the anti-vaccine movement on religious grounds and is doing so alongside with Holocaust denial. Those two things seem to be linked in our current situation. And so we are recalling the words of Scripture that, um, that to, to tell the story of our faith, we have to tell it honestly, which includes the story of the sacrifices in the temple, which includes for Christians today to tell the story of how Christians have persecuted Jewish people, um, to tell and systematically tried to eradicate them from our communities and from our planet. Um, this is the kind of honesty that the gospel of Jesus demands, that we don't shy away from the real truth of what has happened. And so the author of Hebrews is writing in a time of not only Jewish persecution in the Roman Empire, but also Christian persecution that is happening in the Roman Empire. And so the as the priesthood that offered this daily sacrifice has been um, nearly destroyed in the land of Israel at this time. Um, as the, the temple's destroyed by Titus Andronicus, who comes in and destroys the Jewish temple in the Jewish revolt that Josephus describes in great detail. Um, so the sacrificial daily offering ends in that moment. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to call his listeners and readers in these early Christian communities to the work of the high priest named Jesus, who offers himself in the heavenly temple. And the daily sacrifice that the priests offered, every day the priest stands at his sacrifice and offers a service, is echoed in our office that we're doing right now of morning prayer. The priesthood of all believers means that you are a priest. You are. Um, And this is the sacrifice, the daily sacrifice of offering prayers for yourself and for the whole world is the responsibility of every priest. And so Jesus, as our high priest, is the ultimate one who does this in heaven. But we echo that here on earth with these daily sacrifices of prayer. And, And the gathering of the sacrifice of the Mass that happens on Sundays for Christians is part of our priestly role in your participation in that sacrament, in that moment of heaven and earth meeting. You are a priest in that sacrament. There is a designated priesthood that administers and presides at the sacrament, of which I am part, that order of priesthood. But the priesthood of all believers participates in that sacrifice. And I can't do it alone. The great amen at the end of the Eucharistic service 
Amen. Sometimes I chant it if I'm feeling good. If I can't, I say it. Amen. That is the moment where the prayers that the priest is praying on behalf of the community is joined in by the whole community. The, the Eucharistic prayer could be prayed by the whole community all together in unison, but the priest prays it on behalf of the congregation. But that final amen is the moment where you, as the priest in participant, the participant priest, speak that amen to say that you are praying that whole prayer yourself. And that is how it works, that daily sacrifice, that weekly offering of the Eucharist. Um, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us, are the words we say in that moment. And this is what it means to be a Christian in the world today. With the pandemic uh, taking away so many opportunities for our human connection, to keep the sacrifice of the Mass in place, I think, is very important. To keep that that daily offering in place that you are doing right now to keep that weekly sacrifice in place is what we do. And the author of Hebrews says that um, some of you are having trouble coming to that. Some of you are having trouble meeting together. Do not neglect to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We like to think of Christians a long time ago as being better than us, more dedicated than us, uh, more strident and firm, and uh, especially a church like the church that's being written to in Hebrews, where there's persecution and hardship, and there's not an under, a worldwide understanding of Christianity in any way by anybody. Um, and they had a really different situation, and they struggled with the same thing we struggle with, showing up, praying together, encouraging each other. The reason I go running early in the morning is because somebody says, hey, let's go running early in the morning. Um, The reason people come to church is because you say, hey, am I going to see you there on Sunday? Um, That's why we do things. We do things together. And I hope I am a voice of encouragement for you, not a voice of shame and says, if you don't come, you're a bad person. My running buddies don't shame me when I don't show up. They don't say, you know, you've really failed us forever and we hate you. Uh, They say, where were you? (laughs) Or it was cold out there uh, or whatever it is. Um, We don't live in a, uh, shame doesn't work. It didn't work for the author of Hebrews back then. It's not going to work for us. But encouraging one another to encourage someone is an act of love and it is our Christian duty to put courage in someone else. That's literally what encourage, in encouraging them, to put courage inside them. And think of the people that have put courage in you, courage to make hard decisions, courage to do the right thing, even if it costs you, courage to show up, courage to love, courage to hope even, courage to have faith in the midst of doubt, courage to wake up in the morning and go to work, courage to do the kind of things that you've got to do, courage and this is probably the hardest one, maybe for me, courage to have difficult conversations that are really hard to do. That's what courage, encouragement is. And when you see that in someone, you say, I know you have the courage to do this. I know you can do this. So let's encourage one another. And in our time of sharing, I hope you share some things that you need courage for, and we can encourage you um, in those endeavors today. 
But that is what we do for each other. That is what the author of Hebrews is encouraging them to do. Because what you are doing in this service of morning prayer and what you are doing on Sunday is participating in the heavenly sacrifice of Jesus that was once offered on our behalf. And to be a participant in that sacrifice is not just going to church. It is not watching a magic show. It is not being entertained in in the way that I like to binge TV shows. It is something completely different. You are participating in what Jesus is doing every day for us in the heavenly sanctuary. And I think the author of Hebrews would... um, would be encouraged to know that you're still doing it 2,000 years later. Amen. Today is the day the church celebrates and remembers the life of St. Thomas Aquinas. He was a big guy, um, and many people thought that because he was kind of big and and soft spoken and uh, not real, not real. Uh, he was hesitant to speak as a young person, and so he got the nickname the Dumb Ox of Sicily. Um, which, when you think of what he accomplished intellectually throughout his life, um, is really classic in human behavior to misunderstand a young person who goes to do great things as. Uh, sort of what we humans do best, isn't it? And so Thomas Aquinas, who started out by people thinking he wasn't all that smart, um, brilliantly uh, articulated the Christian faith in his time, for his time. Um, right At this time, we are in the middle of the Crusades. The Crusades have been seen as an abject failure, um, ultimately, to hold Jerusalem. That's long been over. And, uh, and yet there's amazing encounters with the Muslim world happening in the life of, of St. Thomas Aquinas. There is trade happening and ideas going back and forth uh, through, from the, what we call the Middle East to medieval Europe, and that is happening in his lifetime. And so one of the things he does is he talks about um, the proof of God's existence, and one of his... Um, and many of his writings about the proof of God's existence were to build a bridge with the Muslim world to say, you know, we both believe in God. Perhaps we could work on um, sharing that belief in a more full way and to build peace in a way that has not been built before. Uh, that, That first attempt, or maybe not first attempt, but one of the first attempts to do that is something that is something we're still trying to do today with our Muslim siblings. Uh, He also wrote his giant uh, Summa Theologica, a giant book that is a series of questions and answers uh, in a really creative way. He um, takes a question, and my favorite, I think, is, is it ever right to charge someone too much, or excuse me, is it ever right to charge, or uh, start over, is it ever right to charge, pay too little for something. His, his, uh, his treatment of economics and money exchanges and all that is very relevant for today. Um, is it ever right to pay too little for something? For instance, the most extreme example of this is um, you have a friend who has a 
child who's sick and needs money to pay for the treatment. And so he takes his family heirloom piano and sells it for 25 bucks because he needs 25 bucks today. And you look at that Steinway and say, that's worth $10,000. And you still pay $25 for it, knowing you can get it for cheap. Um, That's an example where we say, yeah, that wouldn't be right to pay too little for something. And yet we live in a capitalist age that is obsessed with paying too little for things. Um, If you look at the Walmart model of pricing, every year they ask those people that are making the toothbrushes to make them for 10 cents less and we'll sell them for 10 cents less and so and we'll buy them for the 10 times volume. Um, and so eventually manufacturers can't afford to make the product in some cases um, and the workers don't get paid anything and, and prices go down and wages go down for that. Um, salaries for teachers, another example. Thank you, Paula. All these things of, is it ever right to pay too little for something? Um, Thomas is asking that question many, many years ago, and we're still asking it today when it comes to our economic justice and transactions. He also um, said that when you're having a really hard day and when you're really down and depressed, uh, a bath, a glass of wine, and going to bed early are the best treatment for that condition. Um, Remember, Thomas lived in the day before sleep medication and uh, those melatonin pills and all that. So wine was pretty much the, uh, the, that remedy there. He also talked about temperance and being careful with consumption. But um, ultimately, he lived in a very real world that we can relate to. But reading his Summa Theologica um, is really a fun exercise because you're never sure what Thomas believes about a subject. He is creating a dialogue of two different opinions that sort of come to a synthesis after the third one. So you're never quite sure what he believes about a subject. And I find that to be a very creative way to do theology, to have a discussion about theology. Who is God? What is God? Our Eucharistic theology is um, largely drawn from uh, the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas, the often vilified doctrine of transubstantiation, of how Jesus, how the elements become um, Jesus' body and blood, are often um, are often credited to him and, and his explanation of that. Um, I'm just looking up one thing here. The um, let's see here. The um, one of the my favorite hymns that he wrote um, is "Humbly I Adore Thee," and uh, I'll sing it now. It's in the hymnal, 80, 1982, number three fourteen. And this is my my theology of the Eucharist, and I and it's Thomas Aquinas's, which when you think about it, it is the um, is ultimately the experience of communion. Is, is the theology and is what we believe about it. It is not so much what we say about it, but what we feel and experience. So here's the song he wrote about communion that um, I love dearly. Humbly I adore thee, verity unseen, who thy glory hidest neath these shadows mean. 
Lo, to thee surrendered, my whole heart is bowed. Tranced as it beholds thee, shrined within the cloud. Taste and touch the vision, to discern thee fail. Faith that comes by hearing, pierces through the veil. I believe whatever the Son of God hath told, what the truth hath spoken, that for truth I hold. O memorial wondrous of the Lord's own death, living bread that givest all thy creatures breath, Grant my spirit ever by thy life may live. To my taste thy sweetness never failing give. Jesus, whom now hidden, I by faith behold. What my soul doth long for, that thy word foretold. Face to face thy splendor I at last shall see in the glorious vision, blessed Lord of thee. Almighty God, you have enriched your church with the singular learning and holiness of your servant Thomas Aquinas. Enlighten us more and more, we pray, by the disciplined thinking and teaching of Christian scholars, and deepen our devotion by the example of of saintly lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.